Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. In this episode, I continue the conversation with Bhakta Muralidharan, AVP of Unified Communications at Sampo International. In the first part, he shared a brief history of some of the computer networking technologies based on his experience, working on some of the emerging standards at that time, exploring roles in sales and marketing support, preferring to work with customers and solve their problems using appropriate technologies. And then I asked him about how comfortable it was to be working with customers and supporting them coming from an engineering or developer mindset. Murli answers that question and continues to share how understanding the customer's temperament beyond technology glasses is very important and being comfortable with not developing cutting-edge technology but applying it. And also talks again about the experience of being part of a sales team and the importance of considering the cost of solutions, not just for technology's sake. The impact of COVID on the collaboration infrastructure that he manages as part of his current role working with a Japanese firm, and really some very interesting metrics about the productivity in meetings and what they're doing to improve that. The shift from being an individual contributor in technology to an enabling role and what that entails and some of the options he considered from a career advancement perspective. And he concludes with his suggestions on what can be done to increase and improve the adoption of technology to be more effective. Through the conversation, he also has a lot of tips for people aspiring to get into these roles. Listen on. That is good to know, Murli. One question here, how comfortable was it to be working with customers and supporting them, particularly coming from an engineering or a developer mindset. As a small team, I used to be a leader of the team in um, supporting voice solutions, Cisco voice solutions. And um, and when engineers were unable to uh, resolve it, it would escalate to me and I would work with them. So technology was one part of it. The other part of it is really working with customers, understanding their sentiments, understanding their temperament, and oftentimes, and working solve the issue to contain the situation, I found it is not all just technology, right? The customer is not mean, you know, by, by, by default. There's a situation. They may have a system down. They may have a business down. They are losing business, a million dollars a minute. So a lot of that goes into uh, customer's um, temperament and uh, working with them, not with the purely technology glasses, but to understand their situation and think of, out of the box on what you can do at the moment to get them going, even if you don't fully understand what caused the problem, right? That became a skill I had an opportunity to develop in the customer service business, right? And by this time, I had become comfortable with not being in cutting edge technology development, right? And in the meantime, some of my friends had gone on to do C++, object-oriented programming, and uh, some of the even uh, rudimentary form of machine learning. Um, previously, I'll be very honest with you, it used to give me in you know, a heartburn if uh, I'm not doing the cutting edge thing. 
it's like oh my god i'm i'm sleeping behind i'm not going i'm going to be uh, not um, uh, i'm not going to have a good uh, job market uh, my job is insecure those fears used to haunt me is one of the reasons i always wanted to make sure i'm i'm doing the current thing and uh, i was comfortable with um, not being in the bleeding edge uh, you know in terms of technology there's plenty of um, other things to branch out too uh, with a good, with a solid base right yeah, fortunately we all had we got a solid base both in academically and by initial training so i actually left cisco 2014 something like that to go work in the sales believe it or not which i hated i never wanted to be in sales business so mm-hmm. i was part of a sales team like i was no salesman i still am no, not a salesman i can't but um, because to me to be very blunt uh, a lot of times in sales we say things that are not always in the best interest of customers that's just the nature of business okay and uh, I, I that's why i feel so i worked for this company part of the sales team the idea was when they engage with a customer after the initial round of discussion with the customer they bring in the technology people right to help the under, help the, um, the initial the is more like acquaintance and then they bring in the uh, uh, technology people to to give them an overview of the proposed solution to their issue and then the cost benefit analysis uh, the whole thing and and how it's going to evolve how it's going to help them um and then if the customers are good with it we would put together um what's called a statement of work right and this is what they're going to do this is going to be the development this is going to be the you know after we so right they so w go back and forth and customers good with it usually work with customers it people and then we handed off to the deployment team and i worked closely with the deployment team to make sure that the project is implemented smoothly and to customer satisfaction and then it goes to operations and monitoring steady state uh, it was a very good experience because honestly prior to that my focus was so much in engineering developing software algorithms not on cost and you know which is a very important a financial aspect of anything is important when you leave the um, engineering world right so real businesses just because something is a full technology doesn't mean they're going to be all over they are going to every, every, everybody has a three year plan five year plan how is it going to be disruptive is not going to be disruptive have they already invested in some technology uh, is that going to be you know how, how what is the amortization on that technology all those become almost just as important as how cool the technology is i mean the, the end business especially a non engineering business doesn't care how you know whether you have an ai algorithm inside the box for them they have a business need and how well you are able to satisfy them and fit into their cost model and fit into their long term plans right so those things to me honestly i had not gone to business school they were not something that i had been um, exposed and so it was a as a learning experience for me to say ha huh, this is just as important as um, your sorting algorithm that you implement right that was a good experience so i worked there for 3 years and it turns out very honestly i was in boston and um, some of my colleagues were in new york city in wall street and in terms of business sizes size of business that i used to get was much much smaller than the size of the days to get as you can imagine right the jp morgans and morgan stanley and goldman sachs they're all in wall street so they would for the same involving the same technology same solution then they would come back with a 5 million dollar business i would come back with a you know, $150,000 business in sales companies it doesn't matter how good you are the numbers come you don't bring in enough business you're not so i recognized it that i wasn't either i had a choice i either had to move go live in so we had geographies to cover so my geography was from boston 
to Maine, New Hampshire and Maine, and uh, New York, Manhattan, and New Jersey, and uh, you know Jersey City. They were all filled with the younger men, bases and and all those people. So there's no way I can bring in business as the highest those people. So I recognized it. So I also in the meantime got the opportunity at uh, the current company where I work. It's called Sampo International. Sampo International is a subsidiary of Sampo Holdings, uh, which is a parent company in Japan. It is um, roughly uh, the AIG of, you know, AIG in America is, is uh, similar to Sampo Holdings in Japan. Uh, it's about $78 billion in annual revenue, but they only operate within Japan. So they spun off an international division to go work outside um, Japan. So we don't do anything in Japan. And they grew outside Japan by way of acquisition primarily. So they acquired companies, integrate them. And um, I work in the IT division. In the IT division, they have different, they, what they call them as technology towers. So for example, servers is a technology tower. Email is a technology tower. Um, communications and collaborations is a technology tower. Uh, uh, networking as another technology, which is the, all the basic networking. So I own the um, communications and collaborations. The idea is to um, implement technology that will optimize and maximize uh, collaboration amongst the employees of Sampo, uh, you know, uh, for the across all the business units. So um, naturally, video conferencing is big. Telephony, fax, believe it or not, 2022, still do quite a bit of faxing. Um, and even other things, right? They do what's called post-change stamp machine, credit card machines. They all use telephone lines to communicate and um, chat like Slack and, um, uh, you know, meetings. So they are a Cisco shop primarily. They started out as a Cisco shop. Uh, for office, of course, they use Microsoft Office Suite. But for networking and telephony, they started with Cisco. And so we are continuing with Cisco's evolution of collaboration technologies. And uh, so I have a team of people where we basically, three things, um, to, uh, so we day-to-day -day operations. So we, we, you know, it's a 24 seven and not because we also have an international footprint. We are in the US, Europe and Japan. What it means is 24 hours a day, everything has to be working. And um, so meetings, messaging and collaboration, that's sort of the, theme or central tenets of a collaboration environment, right? So you want the best uh, messaging system and meeting, um, video conferencing, part of that. And of course, you know, calling, telephony, right? Uh, in various ways, right? Soft phone, hard phone, stuff like that. So uh, so we, we focus on um, operational, tactical, and strategic for three-year, five-year planning, how we are going to evolve, right? So when I started out, they were using some really rudimentary um, telephone, a lot of even analog phones, believe it or not. Um, and some rudimentary Cisco had a product called Meeting Place. It was like um, setting up a conference bridge. In those days, you know, everybody dials into that number and putting a conference. We evolved from there to uh, Cisco's uh, brand of um, collaborations called WebEx. It might, uh, it's much like Microsoft Teams. It's a rival, in fact. So we, we rolled out WebEx technologies. And WebEx also has a, a messaging component to it. And it's um, integrated with the Microsoft Office suite very tightly. Collaboration is a very generic term, right? Even, uh, even uh, working with somebody in even terms is, is a collaboration. But it became particularly relevant and important because we pretty much 
a little bit after I joined, a few months after I joined, COVID hit. And COVID only made collaboration so much more critical because everybody worked from home. And um, uh, the initial parts, initial months of um, COVID collaboration and uh, working together took a big hit uh, for, for obvious reasons. And um, uh, the, the, the indicators, the key metrics, um, KPIs that um, the business people measured uh, was a, a, a substantial drop. So that was something where they really mounted a pretty serious campaign to try to bolster the campaign. So we made some investments to try to build that up. Um, to the point now that um, across the industry, not just in our company, people are finding that working from home is not too far off in um, um, than working in person in the office, right? There may still be, there are still sure enough roles um, which require the, you know, face-to-face interaction, the body language sensing, but uh, with the exception of few, a significant amount of work gets done and we monitor, we monitor using various metrics including, believe it or not, how long does it take after you join, after the meeting starts, does the real subject of the meeting conversation start? How many minutes do you spend in checking? Are you, can you hear me? Or can you see me? You know, uh, people joining. Yeah. People do study and apparently in a 30-minute meeting, 10 minutes are spent. So really, the 10th minute is when you really start um, talking about why you're re- the reason for the meeting. Uh, so that's a 30% um, loss of time, right? And now imagine the number of meetings we have. We have like a million million, million minutes a day uh, of meeting. So you can imagine there's a million minutes a day, that's 300,000 minutes are wasted. If you met face to face, you know, that wouldn't be the case. You sit down, maybe you spend a minute or two, then you're, you know, maybe do some small talk and you'll get to business. So that was a metric we measure. And, and of course, it's a, it's a continual process and we made significant, you know, steps. So very interesting, Nashu. Uh, so on a day-to-day basis, of course, I don't write software anymore, but uh, my team here and there do a little bit of programming, a little bit of software, and uh, very little hardware. Uh, we don't develop software. We are, we are an IT company that adopts and consumes uh, technology solutions from other vendors for the purpose of, uh, you know, for business purpose, right? But being, you know, on a daily basis, so far away from programming and other uh, hardware work, I find the days so challenging that... Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to have got this um, opportunity. And this is something that I want to share with my interest also. You know, you don't need to be always uh, doing cutting-edge work, engineering work. There's plenty of challenges uh, and, 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 and cerebral work uh, outside of uh, the technology. Technology is a great background. You know, that's what gets us into the job market. That's what gets you, you know, hired for what you know and what you can do. But um, after some years of um, that understanding, that, that serves as a foundation for you to have broaden your perspective beyond pure engineering and technology to other aspects of business. So let me pause there as you may have some other questions. Oh, wonderful. And this was uh, like uh, the history of networking technology 101 for the first part. And also you know, moving from technology for technology's sake to technology to solve real problems. Yeah. Uh, you kind of preempted a few questions that came to my mind as you were explaining all this are uh, still a couple of them. Uh, no, one, personally, the shift from being, say, a, a technologist or an individual contributor and trying to go and then go deep, whether it is the microprogramming you mentioned or as a consultant and so on, to an enabling 
kind of a mindset. Recently, I had a guest uh, who spoke about uh, a maker and a mender you know, mindset, you know, which is everybody wants to work only on new software. Whereas right. he was talking about the need for preserving or extending the life of investments that have already been made. So you need a mender's mindset. So from what you described, I get one more angle, which is probably an enabler mindset. So from maker to an enabler, how has the transition been for you? No, to me, you know, um, so I'm not in, as you know, I'm in the Northeast part of the US, right? I'm not sure things would have turned out the same way if I had lived in California, where opportunities for purebred technology is abundant, right? I, one time I considered moving there, I did not. But I found that for me, it was one of really necessity. I found that after a certain point I, in my career, I was doing coding and I was doing engineering and the technology, but the growth was starting to, curve was starting to slow down, right? I reached a level of what's called the principal engineer, right? So software to senior software to principal. But I wasn't growing after that. So I had to do something. And a lot of my friends, uh, some of my friends, they moved into marketing, right? Which is a great, which great um, uh, part of the business. And some people have a natural flair for it. I wasn't. I wasn't good in marketing. I didn't want to go into marketing. Uh, even though I did a very brief stint in, 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 in technical marketing and as a sales team, um, I wasn't good in those things. Some people went to MBA and stuff like that. Uh, to me, I wanted to really understand, uh, you know, if I don't go into, um, and technology companies, in the 1990s and early 2000s in the Boston area were not nearly um, uh, growing as much as uh, the, the Silicon Valley area, right? So it was one of necessity. So you had, I had to grow and um, I had been in networking communication. So I had some technical strength. And so I wanted to find out how can I grow to the next level? And uh, so one way to grow is, um, you know, find maybe a startup, and continue to work your technology, uh, you know, at a branch thereof. Another way to do that was uh, sort of a people management, right? And um, some people are, uh, many people are good about people management, right? Become a software development manager, senior manager, director, those kinds of, you know, people management is not my strength and I don't enjoy it. Um, and not that I don't, I love working with people, but um, I worked in an environment too where layoffs are happening. And uh, some friends of mine who had become managers had to let people go. And uh, that kind of thing somehow did not uh, sit with me very well. I couldn't tell anybody, you know, you're done, go home, you know. And I didn't want to ever have to do that in the, in the late in the late 90s, early 2000s, if you remember, dot-com bust, is that what they call it? Yeah, it's a dot-com bust or something. So this is happening quite a bit. A lot of my friends, my brother-in-law, who used to work for Lehman Brothers, he was a director in software, he had to let 70% of his team go. Mm. He would come home so depressed and upset. His, his job was secure, but he would he, he was not happy. Every day he would like uh, tell people to go. And he said, these are good guys. So that kind of thing happened. And I can never do that. And I cannot, I'm not very good. I'll be very honest here. You know, I, I'm not very good at managing people in, from that standpoint. You know, in happy days, it's easy, but in difficult days, no. And so for me, I wanted to grow. I didn't want to go and become a people manager. I didn't want to go into that line. Uh, I want to stay close to technology, even if it's not, you know, 100% uh, technology focus. So uh, service management was, a, was something. And I also found just a natural 
feeling that I found myself, um, you know, deriving a lot of gratification, working with people, helping people. So I the technology service, Cisco service business was huge, and um, and they were looking for people, and they needed some some difficult certification exams to do to to qualify for it. So for me, it was to exacting the best out of me, both from a technical standpoint and from a service standpoint. So that was really the if to me, if I would say that was really my entry into service enablement mindset, right? So I first went into more fixing more like a customer support where I was only fixing customer problems but after work and it was very very satisfying right because people would say um, I, by the way I'm known as Bhakta here even though Murali is back in India as you know here in the, in the, in the US in, in India South India your father's name becomes your initials but in the US you know you end up taking your first name so but they used to say Bhakta did a great job very fulfilling, self-fulfilling and, and very satis- satisfying. So I wanted to continue. And then after a while, within the service business, again, I reached a point where I wasn't growing. So I wanted to understand, so I have, I know how to uh, work with people and solve issues. I have some technology background. How can I put them together? And where else can I go with it, right? So that's when this, um, to, you know, fortunately worked out to go work in a sales, uh, technical sales team, where I actually found many times I, uh, I would work at IT teams and to write up solutions. And one of the first things is you have to listen to their problems and not throw technology around, right? You don't you don't deploy technology for the sake of, because it's cool. It's a really cool algorithm. Uh, you know, it solves an n factorial time. That's, they don't care. So I found that what really they care about is, you know, they have issues. They need to impress their their line of business units, BU, and, and 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 what can they do to maximize on the criteria laid for them? And I found that not always that aligned with the best technology. It was really understanding what the day-to-day issues are and, and, and really putting together, even if it's a five-year-old technology that satisfied their immediate issue and to, ma- to make them feel good, they become the champions for your cause. Then they, they, you become like a, a trusted consultant and they, they, the next time something happens, they reach out to you and say, hey, we have this issue, you know, what can you do? Well, you know, is there anything that you can do first? And he listen. So I found more time spent in understanding their needs. And then, so it's like, you know, talk less and listen more. I really opened up that um, the need of the day may not be the current bleeding technology, but you really, the technology, you want to put just enough technology to enable their business outcome, right? That, that, that's something that I did not, um, have a sense for because I didn't have to care about it. My product manager would come and say, these are the features we're going to implement for the next release and we just go do it. Who uses it? How many people use it? Cost it? None of that was a criteria, right? And I was doing right and I get paid bonus for it. I get, you, you deliver this feature in time, you get good money and you go, you go home. That was the engineering mindset, which is nothing wrong with that. You know, that you put a lot of clever thinking into how to implement something and, you know, maybe reduce the amount of memory requirement or maybe reduce, you know, increase the speed. Fantastic. But, but where, to me, at least to me, I reached a point where I couldn't go further with just those skills. And so I had a while way to go the people management way. I tried to go in the service management way where I could continue to apply my technology. Didn't have to worry about laying off people and stuff and just, you know, work with technology to the extent it is, it helped businesses. It was interesting that you talked about the 10 minute easing in time for meetings. So the 30% that kind of gets consumed in, uh, you're muted, right. can you hear me and all that, right? right. So uh, working as an enabler, 
Yeah. One thing that I've been finding is that, uh, yes, definitely COVID accelerated the adoption of technology. And right. even in my work, I need to work with a lot of teams and people you know, across different organizations, different domains and all that. Right. Where uh, suddenly, when you need to connect remotely, there are two things that seem to be uh, a challenge for many people. One is, of course, understanding the technology. Uh, today, it is not homogeneous. Yes, within an organization, yes. But if you have to move from one to the other, uh, different vendors, different technology, suddenly you don't know how to share, you keep fumbling for where is the share button, etc. But the related aspect is also the cultural aspect of making sure that everybody is included or you are clear. Because sometimes you use hand gestures and all that, but half the people may not be on video or bandwidth issues and so on. As an enabler, when you are deploying technology, I like that you, know, you need to deploy technology for the sake of solving a business need rather than technology for technology's sake. Uh, what are some things that you would uh, suggest that one can do to improve the adoption of technology from both the technology training, etc., as well as the cultural aspects? This is a million-dollar question, sir. Something that uh, continues to be continue to deal with it, continue to be challenged by it, continue to face because it's happening in our in the organization, as speaking probably around the world, um, uh, sometimes to the point of being even frustrating because we are unable to move. You know, sometimes it is even to the point of the vendor of technology is about to discontinue or evolve to a newer um, generation of technology. But my I have a ten thousand employees who are unwilling to make that shift forward. Mm-hmm. I work closely with a team called service management team within the company. So we do many things to try to uh, contend with uh, this issue of adoption, right? So for adoption, it's again a bit of a feedback control system. Uh, you need to take an action to try to demonstrate and illustrate the technology you need to find ways to envelope it with something simpler so that it's a, you know, uh, and then you can remove the envelope later on if you like. And then you need to have metrics to monitor the adoption, right? So the third is the easiest, right? You can always, there are various ways to, uh, we monitor uh, uh, meeting, uh, meeting quality assessment and the various metrics, right? All the way from audio um, and as I said, join time, um, and the, the the vendor provides some hooks. We implement some layered hooks on top of it to try to assess. Uh, as little as uh, we have integrated Microsoft Office with a meeting WebEx system, and collaboration of course involves documents, updating documents, and maybe they're sitting in SharePoint, right? How well the SharePoint is linked to the uh, to the meeting. Uh, so that you don't have multiple copies floating around. There is a co-editing of documents. So we, we are able to monitor all that. So monitoring is a little bit a technology challenge, which you're able to solve. The human aspect of the challenge is getting people to adopt it. That's what, what, what we do is we do a lot of lunch and learns. So that one of the things that when I hire people in my team, in addition to being a good technologist, I, there, I do have a couple of people who like, don't like to do that. They said that during interview and I, I'm fine. But a lot of people, I make sure they should either be able to write knowledge-based articles or put together short one, two-minute videos on how to 
use, even a small feature, not the whole product, as and when we roll out a feature. So the at any time point in time, like much like a virtual computing, you only use a piece of the overall power that your computer has, right? So the meeting solution we deploy has so many features waiting in pipeline to be rolled out. But before we roll it out, we have the team play with it and uh, and, and, and and get a sense for where um, some level of video documentation and lunch and learns are needed to explain. Work with the business unit member with a, we usually get champions from each business unit or like a, our liaison. So work with them on their day-to-day -day challenges and try to apply that to the feature and try to demonstrate how the feature can help them with it and put together a video and work with them. So we usually recruit, so to speak, like kind of like an ambassador from every business unit here to have a business and work. So, the, so one of the things that I ask to people join the team is you need to be able to work with these ambassadors from product business units you know, get a sense for their main issue and how this feature can help them. And you two need to work together to develop a quick one, two minute, shouldn't be long, two minute video. And we compile a library of those videos. And then before we roll out, we prepare a communications plan in which we we, we point to these things, right? So they say, look, these are the, this is how you do. And if you're, for example, if you're from uh, reinsurance business unit, then this clip, shows you, you know, how to use this feature to do something quicker, right? Uh, to form a space, good to do. So these things become the gate for releasing a feature. This feature has been there, the product's been, the capability has been latent, sitting there waiting to be open, but we don't open it unless we are sufficiently prepared from a human aspect, uh, in a preparedness aspect. We are finding that that is helping because to be honest, when we first rolled out, we are opening a features and, and, and you know, we would have the service management and make a big plan, put up a, web, you know, publish on the intranet uh, on the new features. They were not being used. And since we switched to the changing, the rollout is almost like an event, uh, you know, between the lunch and events and these documentation knowledge-based articles, we are finding that the adoption ticks up. Now they are more willing to, if we just tell them about a feature as a feature, Business and people couldn't care less. They're used to doing something in a certain way right. and they're very quick at it. They don't want to change. So you need to almost like illustrate with the examples that are very relevant to their day-to-day -day function. And, and to me, that, that seems to help. Wonderful. Yeah. It has been a very engaging and informative thing. It was also a good walk back memory lane. Yeah, thanks a lot for you know, taking the time and being patient to explain things. I'm sure Absolutely. some of the things that we normally uh, touch upon in terms of career tips, you already covered that as part of what you said. Thanks a lot once again. Quite welcome, Faisal. I'm happy to share. And it's great that you're you're doing this. And, and, and I hope that some of the things that you and I went through as a career progression, uh, you know, will be tips, uh, not only from career progression, but also from deriving satisfaction on a daily basis throughout your 40 years of career. So thanks for the opportunity. Bye, Shafi. We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the software people's stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcasts 
at pm-powerconsulting.com.